I think adversity is sort of the same in, in every way. For people who are seeking out adventure on a river, um, we're actually like consciously going after adversity. Like we're, at, we're actually putting ourselves into those challenging situations. So for, for me, like getting tumbled by a wave really helps me just see that, you know, I could see this as like a failure. Like I just got dumped and I'm like getting tossed and turned in a, in a river with, and I don't know what's going to happen next. Just getting crushed <laughs> or like, you know, getting back up on that board again, taking another surf. It's really just about having that well internal strength to, to look at it in, in a positive way and, and know that you're going to come out of this with um, that much more strength and, and being able to handle much greater adversity until you know you you face your your biggest challenge <laughs> wednesday march it's not march one two three wednesday october 14th 2020 sup everyone i'm paul clark sup paul welcome back to the podcast it doesn't take much to be surrounded by negativity negative people negative comments negative vibes Spend a couple of minutes in social media and you'll be overcome by negativity. That's why in this podcast episode, we're talking with my friend, Canadian river surfer, Jacob Kelly Quinlan. We're talking about his background as a river surfer, his trip and recent movie documenting the experiences of surfing in Afghanistan, and just his general positivity, good vibes in this episode. Without further ado, Jacob Kelly Quinlan. Jacob Kelly Quinlan, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's so great to have uh, be on the show, Paul. I've been listening probably since your first episode, so this is really exciting. Well, I appreciate that. The, the podcast began as a way to reach out to people during quarantine, the Oregon coronavirus quarantine, to see how they're doing, staying safe, healthy, sane and able to practice uh, what they do to be creative and to uh, travel where they can. So we've been, we've been uh, chatting in social media and we've been following each other. And your adventures on a surfboard in rivers are quite inspiring. So I've been wanting to talk to you about river surfing and uh, the project that you've been working on for the last couple of years, a great adventure story that we'll get to. But... Tell me where you're at and uh, what what you're up to on this beautiful October day. Yeah, so uh, the snow has started flying up yeah. here in uh, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. So th that's where I call home. Mm -hmm. um, we've got a couple of waves kind of in and around town. So not everybody knows how to pronounce this, but if you ever see it on, on the social as Kananaskis, uh -huh. it's, uh, it's a bit of a diff difficult one to pronounce, but... And I'm We're sure a super, lot of people pronounce lucky. it with their tongue in the cheek with a little uh, wry <laughs> smile. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's just we're incredibly lucky to have this river. It's a, in a provincial park, so the location's amazing. It's, it's really beautiful out there. But we actually have a river that turns off that not everybody gets to have. It's kind of like a... We have our own little whitewater park, but it's um, it's because there's a power dam at the top of the, the river. Um, so like since the 1980s, the kayak association there has been building different features and um, kind of turning that stretch of river into this beautiful little playground. And uh, we started surfing there. I think the first recorded surfing is about 2005. Mm -hmm. That's when our uh, River Surf Association formed. And yeah, it's, it's just amazing because it's, it's a moderated flow. You know what I mean? Like, so I was out there, it's a holiday up here in Canada. So it's our, we get to have Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Early. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, so I was out there on our holiday Monday and there was 20 people in the lineup, snow flying, like, you know, zero degrees Celsius, 32 Fahrenheit. And that water is just coming off the bottom of the reservoir there. So we don't have to deal with too much, too much ice or anything like that. So we're pretty much up there surfing year round. That's fantastic. And, and finding a, a surf wave, a local surf wave that's reliable and fun and with a, a community vibe that's encouraging. And if I know anything about Canadians, it is a encouraging, <laughs> uh, just 
enthusiastic uh, surf environment. And if I know anything about river surfing, the locals are really encouraging, and you know the the, the stoke is high with the people uh, both learning how to surf and to uh, do some pretty exciting things. Of course, this podcast really focuses on media content creation and river travel. So I've interviewed the brand leaders, I've interviewed content creators, including folks from Alberta and uh, a lot of river paddleboarders, including river subsurfers. Do you paddle on a river at all other than hand paddle on your surfboard? <laughs> uh, yes, I dabble. <laughs> <laughs> um, th- there's like, there's no question that I've jumped on a sup and gone hunting for waves. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's an amazing way to kind of navigate rivers and just, uh, it's an excellent craft to go scouting. Um, but I'm actually getting way more into the canoe, just like an oh, open air canoe and, um, just getting into lakes and rivers that way. Uh, I, it's, it's funny cause I, I started surfing in the ocean. Mm-hmm. I'm like one of those, you know, um, bad river surfers who come from the ocean and don't really know much about rivers. Um, but I didn't really kind of put two and two together, but, um, when I was a kid, I spent a ton of time in a river. But I just didn't have any like formal training. I didn't have anybody showing me, you know, what an eddy current is. Uh-huh. Like I just kind of like me and my little brother would like float down in like an old pair of sneakers with like our toes <laughs> sticking up or like take a fishing net and like try and catch sucker fish. So I've got that sort of maybe river intuition, like kind of being able to feel different currents. But I just never got sort of a formal training in it. Um, so... <laughs> Yeah. Um, were you raised in, in the Alberta area or the Canadian Rockies, your place where you learned about rivers? Yeah, for sure. So it wasn't quite in Calgary. I grew up in a town south of Calgary called Okotoks, and there's just like nothing to do in Okotoks. Um, I played hockey for 13 years of my life and like hated it for like 13 years of my life. <laughs> now, it, it was good. Like I, I liked, um, you know, uh, being active in sports. Um, I did like team sports. Uh, I like hanging out with my friends. Uh, I think it taught me a lot. And um, every time I kind of was like, mom, maybe I should quit this hockey thing there. There might be something out there. Uh, I just kind of got drawn back into She, she it, would you know, body like, check you and say, no, hockey is, is, <laughs> is in your blood, I promise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And then it wasn't until after um, I went off to university and took a year off, like a gap year. So I went backpacking in Australia. And like within two weeks of being there, uh, it was my first time ever in the ocean. I was signing up for a surf safari, like learn to surf trip. Mm-hmm. And that, that was like... Oh, that changed my life forever. Um, the very first time I was on a board in the ocean, like getting pushed by whitewater, I stood up and I was hooked. Like it was, it was also like bittersweet because it's like, crap, I have to go home now. <laughs> you know, what I mean? so I spent eight months surfing there. And then when I came home, I just tried to bring that lifestyle with me as much as I could. Like I wasn't even snowboarding. Like I was, you know, like hockey player skier, like full on Canadian, don't know what a surfboard is kind of thing and you know i'm i'm bringing one home from australia so i can like ride down the hill behind my house and like pretend like it's kind of like snowboarding but it's cool because it's (laughs) a surfboard with a leash (laughs) well when was that remind me how old you are first of all yeah uh, i have to do the math Uh, i was born in 83 what's that 36 okay uh birthday's in october um i was 21 when i learned to surf uh, and so that was 2004. Okay. So 2006 is like 2005. I was getting newspaper clippings from my buddy, Jeff Brooks, who we like organized this surf trip together and, and taught a bunch of first year university students how to surf in Santa Cruz, California. And so he goes back to Calgary and I go back to U of L and he sends me this newspaper clipping of here's surfing the 10th street wave in downtown Calgary. And I just laughed and laughed. And I was like, you're never going to get me on that little ankle biter wave. Like that's ridiculous. <laughs> and then he brought me up that summer. Um, so that was 2006 when I finally got in the river and it was the exact same experience. I swear, like first, not the first wave, but the first time I was kind of in belly riding, stood up, got up to my feet and I was hooked. Like it was, it was this incredible thing because it was, 
it was that exact same feeling I felt in Australia. It was this like love and passion and being in the moment and just like kind of wondering how I ever lived without this feeling. And yet you were on an ankle biter wave in downtown (laughs) Calgary and you're feeling like you were surfing in the ocean in Australia. What? How's that possible? Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's transformative. Like it's, it's just, it's, it just all consuming. Right. And in that moment, it was also this kind of contrast of being able to do it in my home, like where I live. And that's when it was, I was still kind of like, uh, so after that, it took about two years for me to stand on a river surf wave again. (laughs) Like back then, there was no access to gear. Yeah. It was the taste that hooked me in though. (laughs) So we just didn't have like a lessons like company set up. We didn't have like good access to gear or like just knowledge about this kind of stuff. So yeah, I pretty much just like flopped around in a river for two years and it was just, you know, a way to like keep my stoke up until Mm -hmm. I could get to the ocean again. Um, Yeah. So (laughs) that's kind of like the origin of it all. And fast forward into the the mid 2000 teens, you're surfing regularly, you're building a community in in Canada and you're traveling we actually met at the Bend Whitewater Park a few years ago and the Bend Whitewater Park is one of those parks where it's exciting it's encouraging like all those things that I love about river surfing and you know that that vibe of of river communities Uh, but you were telling me about some of the things that you were doing and that really honestly our conversation uh, kind of pointed out to me that river surfing is an odyssey sport. A lot of people will, you know, of course, surfers will, will live in vans and trucks and, and chase the ocean like they have been since the, the late 50s, endless summer style, Jerry Lopez in Bali, but you were like, nope, it's the rivers for me. How are the rivers different? And how are the rivers, how are the rivers and the waves on the rivers your, your passion? Why are you chasing rivers? Yeah, for sure. Um, like, like I think you talk to anybody on uh, on the river, and it's all like it's 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 about the community and how welcoming it is, and how much stoke there is. But just the fact that when you're in a river surf lineup, like everybody just takes their turn, <laughs> and that's the one thing. Like, I think we have a lot of heavy discussions with community leaders and and how to shape the culture and you know looking forward as as far as we can and trying to keep localism and this idea of what a a local does kind of out of river surfing, but that will never change. We will always be standing up, lining up, you know, like you know, and and just the proximity too. Like, not only are you kind of next in line but you're also watching your friend rip right in front of you and like kind of like analyzing all the moves and everything. Like that's just not possible. Even paddling out with a group of buddies in an ocean wave, you know, somebody gets a good ride and you kind of see the back of their head. Like you, you don't even know if they're lying to you or not, if they got a good one. (laughs) It was the best wave in the world. Uh, I I could tell no one was watching. Yeah, it was definitely the best wave. We weren't, you didn't see that. But you're right. When you're yeah. when you're standing on a wall, like in Bend or in in Boise, or on the the shore in some of the more natural waves, you are encouraging your friend, and and you're watching it happen. And one thing, I'm not a I'm not an ocean surfer. Certainly, I've, I've done it, but it's not it's not my passion by any means. But what I've found about river surfing is that once you're on a wave, if you're on the wave for a minute, that's a lot longer. <laughs> that's a lot longer session than your typical, you know, breaking wave in the ocean. And then you get right back to it. You encourage your friends who are surfing and then you jump back in. So like in a four hour river wave session, you've spent a lot of time floating on your board and generating energy, cutting back and surfing. You get a lot of time in miles in a relatively short amount of time. Oh, Absolutely. I think that that was sort of the turning point in my mind when when river surfing stopped becoming just this thing I was doing to keep my fitness up until I got to like an ocean beach and put my toes in the sand again Um, because I've been all around the world surfing oceans now like I lived in Australia Costa Rica both sides of Canada you know done lots of trips to Mexico California all this kind of stuff always trying to I don't know build a life around surfing one way or another um, but it was, so it was like 
about five years in for me doing the river surfing thing, still making the ocean trips. But I did a trip up to Skookumchuck Narrows. Mm-hmm, You've heard mm-hmm, of it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, the, the legendary <laughs> wave of, of Skook. So, and it, it was it was it was an interesting one. I think it was my second or or third time there, but it kind of blew me away. I was just it was just me and a friend like Neil Eggsgard. We just went up. We, I think we watched Into the Mind or, or the one before that, like a snowboard movie, and we just got all pumped up. And we're like, we're, we're booking a scoop drift. <laughs> just got like super pumped. But for us, like the drive, the travel time is the same to go to the ocean as it is to go to Skook. And that's when a light bulb kind of went off for me. And it was like, why? Like I, I'm making the same amount of travel. Why am I not going to the ocean right now? What what's pulling me into this like essentially river wave? And why am I making the choice over river surfing over ocean surfing? And I'm thinking about this whole drive out, and then I don't know, just the magic of the area and just the power behind that wave and and just all the magic that is Skook, you know, just it just filled my soul and it's uh, that's kind of stayed with me. And and every time I seek out a new wave or you know, um, just like talking to people about like the idea that there are unsurfed waves like all around the world, just just like working all the time. It's not even like a breaking wave that'll never be the same wave again. This is a stationary wave, like a big, massive giant that's just out there just breaking and no one's surfing it right now. <laughs> like we need to get out there and find those things. <laughs> Mind you, though, and maybe my audience <laughs> will know this or not. Skookumchuck is like the the like. It's a coastal thing. It's an intertidal on the British Columbia coast. It's a standing wave. It's 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 the it's the hybrid of an ocean wave basically and and a river wave. It's a standing wave but really affected by the tidal inlet. Boats have sunk oh, in sure. in the whirlpools of that wave. It's a real oh, deal yeah. monster of a wave. Oh yeah, it scares the crap out of me. <laughs> like the whole time surfing, you're just thinking about what's going to happen next, like what's coming behind me, <laughs> for sure. I know people there. Who, I've salty. never been there, but uh, uh, I know people who are wearing like two different flotation devices, double up on their leashes, and knowing if they get in in the whirlpools behind the wave, especially at high tide, it, they could go deep. They could go deep, blow out oh, eardrums. It, it's it's a real thing. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure. We uh we were getting pulled out by a water taxi uh, at one point, and we we're just like, hey, uh, what's your depth finder saying? And this is at slack tide, so there's there's no current or no, there's no wave forming or anything. I think it was seventy feet deep, just like kind of like as close to the rocks as you can kind of get. Like it's it's almost like this huge rock shelf goes in and then just drops off to the abyss kind of thing. <laughs> But dropping yeah, off to there the is abyss, a magic. Yeah, there. dropping off into the abyss, uh, you know, the, the horizon. I think what always makes an adventure traveler is the person who's willing to go deeper and go further to, to see what's out there. Um, in, in Canada, let's start off with Canada first. Are there a couple other than Skookumchuck and on the Catanascus? What are some waves uh, that you really seek out inland waves, river surf waves that you could share with my audience? Well, a lot of my river surf travel is kind of based on the Rocky Mountains. So it's it's not so much just Canada or the United States, but there's almost you kind of follow the river surf highway. Okay. <laughs> so we've got we've got quite a few in Alberta, but um, it's always sort of flow dependent. They can be pretty fickle, and it's always spring runoff. So we got some nice big cold mountains up here, like to dump a lot of water in the springtime. Mm-hmm. And there's just sort of this handful of waves that if one's not working, the other will kind of work. And we're looking at about um, from Calgary, uh, you got to be willing to drive maybe six, eight hours. And as far as um, so like the Snake River would be an 11 hour drive. Um, But as long as you're willing to like take a day off work or make it a four day weekend, there's more than enough time to just kind of pack the car and go. me and my surf buddies, like my crew that we like to go surfing, we kind of try to keep the rule where we double our surf time to our travel time. But like the break even is always, you got to have as many like surf days as travel days. So if, if you're on the road for a day, uh, a day there, a day back, you got to get at least two surf days in. So um, that's a good rule. That's, that's a good surf travel rule. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like for, for us, like, I don't know. I think, 
if you take too many days off work, you just get way too wiped out and exhausted anyways. <laughs> you know, like like three days of pipeline and you're just like exhausted, like legs, arms, <laughs> like everything. You're just completely sore. Just just loving the hot springs out there. Uh, pipeline and the Locksaw in Idaho. Yeah. And if you are doing one of those, if uh, one of those uh, multi-day road trips from Calgary, um, you're probably hitting some of the bigger name waves, including Pipeline and Lunch Counter and and Glenwood. Even if you go as far as uh, Colorado during the runoff. Yeah, it's kind of you kind of set your targets on one wave, one wave per week. Okay, okay. Um, th- there's a few a few of those that, and especially with more and more wave exploration that's going on you can kind of tack a couple on like um, being able to hit brennan's and pipeline in the same weekend that's definitely for sure but the whole time you're surfing brennan's you're like why aren't i'm i'm not on pipe right now so <laughs> why am i in downtown like... missoula when i could be down the river <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly it's kind of more uh at least for me and my crew like i can't speak for everyone but it's like it's playing that game of flows and a lot of times I don't even know where we're going to go until like a day, three days before and you're watching all the gauges and, and that's when you decide like the car's packed and you're like, okay, so where are we going? <laughs> and and that's when, that's when you pull the trigger, right? I think I know what this podcast episode is going to be called. <laughs> uh, playing <Okay. laughs> the game of flows. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> what do you, what, what what's your work? What do you actually do for a living? I don't know. Yeah, I I do have a day job, uh, kind of like everybody else. Um, uh, I work in audiovisual. Oh. Um, so I'm like an audiovisual technician, which helps when you want to set up a projector and show some surf movies in the middle of the bush. <laughs> so that that pays the bills. Um, but I've kind of had this uh like on off again relationship with river surfing all through. Sort of the last 15 years, I guess, that I've been surfing rivers on. Um, so for a time, I was just like a river surf instructor. Uh, I helped a friend start a, a river surf lessons business. Um, so we developed a curriculum. That was a long time ago, so there wasn't really anyone teaching river surf lessons back then. Um, and uh, with another friend, Neil, uh, we started a consultant group, the um, Surf Anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm use my free time to <laughs> to develop this sort of more or less career in river surfing as much as I can. I'm going to transition to playing movies in the bush in one minute. <laughs> you know what I'm going to get at, but I, I do want to ask this. Because you are a gifted surfer, you're often encouraging younger, uh, newer, I should say, surfers to the sport. What are a few things that you would say to a person one, to get them into the sport, and two, set them up for success. Yeah, for sure. Um, like back in the days when I was still struggling to stand up on my board in the river, uh, there was these two guys who came along in the Wallaces. They were brothers. I always looked up to them. And they they kind of started around the same time as me, but all of a sudden they got really good really quick. And, and that was the biggest question for me. Like, what does it take to be a good river surfer? Like, what am I doing wrong? Like, you guys seem like you got it all figured out. And it was just a really simple answer. They were like, we go way more than anybody else. <laughs> and, Time and miles. And, uh, yeah. I don't know what it is uh, like about, you know, there's a lot of cross training that you can do. There's a lot of videos you can watch. There's there's so much that you can learn to improve sort of cross training and, and all your skills uh, when you're not in the river. But if you're, if you're not applying it, if you're not in the river doing it, it just, it, it takes so long to kind of there there's all these little things that you need to learn that you just can't explain that that can't be taught it just comes from experience like just learning how to fall learning how to get back on your board and learning to get back in the lineup none of that is surfing surfing happens on a wave but all of those things are such a critical important part to it because um like i had one that my surf instructor in australia when we were learning he's like surfing is a game of calories (laughs) like just don't waste them in the wrong spots like the more energy you expel like trying to paddle out through the lineup or or you know do something where you're just creating work for yourself that's one less surf you're going to get you know what i mean if you can learn to do all these other things and just sort of master 
um, sort of the Zen sort of like perfect way of doing things, then you're saving enough in the tank for just one more surf. And we all just want to have just one more. <laughs> and it being, being efficient, I think, is certainly a big part of that uh, zen of surfing, whether it be on the wave or just not exhausting yourself trying to get into the eddy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I've, I've, I haven't been to Ben's wave in, in quite some time now, uh, but one of the things that just blew my mind watching really good river surfers is their board management. They knew when they were going to fall and they would just fall onto the board and, you know, let the, the, the current take them into the eddy line, swim really well. If they're wearing a leash, they'll just, you know, forget about the board and dive into the eddy line. Just really efficient. Where me on my SUP board, I'm wearing a dry suit. And of course the <laughs> SUP board is big anyway. And, PFD and, and all the gear, as soon as I get flushed, it's, you know, a lot of effort to get on the board and then paddle to the eddy. And the same guy who, you know, you know, fell right before me is already on the wave before I've even gathered my stuff. So I'm like, huh, I think there's, there, there's, so, there's an attraction to swimming back to the wave as opposed to trying to paddle back to a wave. But yeah, there, there's definitely something to that. Like we spend as much time swimming as we do surfing and it's it's not like their goal is to not fall off your board because it happens every single time. So it, it's just a matter of like building those swimming skills just as much as the surfing skills. And that's probably why you're not wearing a dry suit when you're <laughs> when you're in a surfing <laughs> wave typically. Well, I I really love the wetsuit. Um, I don't I haven't really seen any uh, or yeah I don't think I've ever seen anybody surfing in a dry suit unless they're like pop out of the kayak, pull the skirt, and they're like, can I pour your board? That kind of thing. But there's a lot of advantages to the wetsuit. Um, there's actually a lot of flotation and a little bit of padding in a wetsuit as well. I tried to look it up because there's some discussion online of um, sort of saying like a personal flotation device is just this piece of like fabric and foam. So what's the difference between that and a wetsuit? And this uh, diving website said there's about two to three pounds of flotation per millimeter of neoprene um so and neoprene's getting even better like with these limestone neoprenes um like that japanese method of pulling it from sandstone instead of petroleum products so it's actually hydrophobic like it's it's trying to like push the water out and that's kind of counter to the thinking of the original wetsuit of like get a thin layer of water between you and the and the suit and you kind of warm that up I think that's sort of old technology because the new wetsuits, it's like I'm pretty much dry. Like it's mostly the sweat that's in there that's heating up, which is kind of gross, but that's okay. <laughs> but the stretch properties are way better too. So we've got like all this new flotation, um, you know, and all these stretch properties that we just didn't have 15 years ago when I started. Like I started with a dive suit that was like you couldn't move. It was a tank. So yeah, of course, like I look over at some of these um, kayakers in their dry suits, all like free and all their range of motion and everything. And I'm like trying to do up like three different zippers <laughs> just to get it thing closed. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I definitely say that a, a dry suit is, is for the elements being on land, being in the rain, being in the wind, being in the water. But a wetsuit's about staying in the water while swimming so you're not fighting all that gear if you're as stripped down as possible just keeping your wetsuit on and 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 being able to swim and be efficient so of course there's controversies about you know being in the river you should have this bit of gear and that bit of gear including helmets pfds but i think you really highlighting the fact that you know being efficient in the water really could save uh save one your energy and two just allow you to you know catch an eddy faster than like i would with all my gear on oh for sure i i think it's it's still in it's still sort of early stages and it's still in an evolution though um like just i don't i don't know if they developed that perfect pfd for the swimmer like maybe for the surfer but you know what i mean so like even so in a lot of these higher water waves so like you know i've like pipeline, mm -hmm. you know, gets up to 10,000 CFS, that kind of thing. And then I've done rivers much larger than that even. Um, so I'm definitely grabbing a vest. There's no mm -hmm. question, but they, they just have all these like, like belts, buckles, zippers. There's, there's just stuff everywhere. 
Um, and I've actually found um, like kite vests. Um, they have a, they have to wear the harness. Mm -hmm. So um, if I wear a kite vest, it's got like uh, there it's low profile around my stomach, so I can lay on the board a little bit better. But I'm even like putting a rash guard or I have a neoprene top that goes on over top of the vest mm. just to like kind of make it more streamlined and like take all that that stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> sort of up off my board and just kind of out of the way and I'm not snagging anything on any like tree branches or anything I'm going to run into when I'm going down in the river. What a great idea. What a great idea. I think that's fantastic. I haven't seen the, anyone do that that I know of, but the, what a great idea. Think about the only thing about this is like you can't get out of the vest. So mm. so I wouldn't do that in sort of there's another wave that's just south of um, Calgary, kind of close to my hometown in Okotoks. And you've got a munchy hole right behind it. And there's been times where like I'm already like reaching for the zipper to like get out of that thing because, you know, the, there, there's so many dangers, like nine which ways you look at it. It's kind of. I've almost got to assess the situation before even suiting up. Like you kind of get to the location and that location is always changing as well. So you kind of got to look at it and analyze it. And I just don't think that there's like a one solution answers all maybe yet, but also like this is a whole new thing that's like just starting now. So it's kind of like still the wild, wild west, but like, like all these brands that you're talking to and everything, it's kind of like, Hey, well, where's, Where's the new life jacket? And like, I think that is coming down the pipe. So I'm, I'm excited to see what come, comes out of it. And there's certainly more river surfers hand paddling, I think, than sup surfers. Well, uh, I hate to say it, but like at least at the Kananaskis where I've seen, there we're starting to outnumber the kayakers even. So when I first started... Like there were so many, so many kayakers in the water. But now if you go out, like when I was out in uh, just last Monday, so colder conditions, there was two kayakers that we saw all day and there's 20 surfers in the lineup. So it, I think it's just kind of everything sort of has its day in the sun. Mm -hmm. And I think we're just seeing a lot of growth that is happening in river surfing right now. But who knows, maybe they'll end up, you know, grabbing a paddle and just exploring more instead of just doing the park and play thing. So you never know what it's going to look like. You never know what it's going to look like. And let's go back to taking your expertise and hitting the road as well <laughs> as showing movies in the bush. You have a movie that you're about to show people about traveling to foreign lands, foreign lands that you wouldn't expect Western travelers to go to, for one, for recreation, and two, for rivers. Tell us about river surfing in Afghanistan. Yeah, that, that was a big one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I'm just wondering, like, how much time we have, the long story, <laughs> the long version of the short. But um, So I think the river surf community is still really small, and I feel fortunate to have made relationships with, like, uh, community leaders and ambassadors, like, river surfers around the world. So when, in a, when a project comes up, like surfing in Afghanistan, I'm kind of on, like, the short list of, like, who do we need to talk to about this? So, so I'm really stoked on that, but... Um, so I just threw sort of through connections of um, meeting Benjamin DeQual. So he kind of started this um, wave building forum that was happening in Munich, Germany, and it brought a lot of river surfers together. And this was years and years ago. Um, so I got the opportunity to go and speak at one of his forums, which was amazing. Um, and all the people that kind of helped him put it on, sort of they've passed the torch of running this thing and everything else. And so one year, uh, Ben has this guy out, his name's Afri, and he's, he started a surf club in Afghanistan. And it's kind of like, well, how does that fit with, with river surfing? And, and like, why is he speaking at your wave building forum and all this? And it was just, it perked more interest than anything else. Like my curiosity was killing me. <laughs> And, and, um, and Ben introduced Afri and I, and he's like, well, you guys have a lot to talk to talk about because it's, it's more about the community building. That's why I had Afri come speak at the forum because we're all trying to do these amazing things. But at the end of the day, if we're just acting on our own, it's like nobody gets anything done. Like we really have to kind of come together and work together and, and build this community and do things as that community. So I thought that was really interesting. And, 
at that point it was just kind of a joke like they would like ben and afri would just kid around like hey yeah we should go look for waves in afghanistan but like the more times it would come up the more times they'd be like well let me just pull out the google and, and see what they say about like you know what are the rivers like in afghanistan and afri wasn't a river surfer like he was bringing mostly people who had moved away from Afghanistan together to surf, you know, in like nice, beautiful Portugal or France Mm -hmm. or something like that. And they would have these competitions and it was amazing, but it wasn't really touching the people from his home in Afghanistan. So um, just being able to go there and search for river waves was sort of that idea of like bringing it back home. And, And that was like the thing that really drew me into the project is because it was so special for me to be able to surf where I was from. Like, that's the thing that got me hooked to begin with in the whole thing. Like, I don't have to jump in a plane and fly across the country and, like, have this carbon footprint. I can do it right where I'm from. Mm-hmm. So so that's when I was hooked. I'm like, okay, <laughs> like, what's this going to be like? Like, <laughs> asking all the questions. Like, what do I have to say to my mom <laughs> so that she's not worried about me the whole time? You, you can't so say anything. She's an... going to be worried about you the entire time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but it was just, uh, we went through, like, two years of planning for a project that was, um, it was sort of a its inception project. So that's not eventually what it ended up looking like that project sort of fell apart. So we put another year planning in to make it sort of this independent surf documentary and go there. Um, and yeah, well, what a, what a trip that was like the, the biggest, the biggest thing that we needed to put in place. Um, and just like huge thanks to them is we had a host family when we were there. Um, so Afri's familiar with Afghanistan, but, um, his roots aren't there. Like he moved away from Kabul with his family sort of as a refugee early on. Um, so, and he'd been back and forth, um, like doing great things in the country, but having that host family sort of sort of like put us up and, and show us around and have them run security for us. And, and just when like, cause we did run into some friction, like not everyone could just like at a glance understand what we were doing or um, just based on their sort of previous interactions with westerners coming to their land well and not 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 just in like the 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 military like sort of a war conflict sense but um even the area that we went to hasn't seen much conflict at all um there there's still a lot of minerals there's still like diamond mines and, and things like this where there's a lot of raw natural resources that sort of westerners are coming and sort of just they're just coming to take from the country they're not very used to anybody showing up and like trying to do something good or like try to bring something to the country so um you know i think when when people were open to having that conversation of really asking what we were doing um i think that was able to come through but yeah for us to just go on our own and try to explain that would be far too difficult of course people are going to ask uh and and so i'll ask right off the bat I want to talk about the the river surfing there, but like, how were you able to to somewhat guarantee safety? And did you have any sketchy moments with 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 locals who didn't understand what you were doing? Yeah, for sure. Um, so like, we rolled around in a like a, a bulletproof Land Cruiser to get out to where we were the first time. Like, I wasn't expecting that, but I, I guess that's kind of par for the course for this kind of thing like even just like if you parked on a little bit of a like a slant in the road just that door like you couldn't even get it open and like when it would slam it would shake the whole vehicle so there was a lot of precautions that we sort of even didn't have to think as much about because we were so well looked after um but the thing the biggest thing that affected our trip was that we just weren't able to access everywhere we wanted Mm. to so the uh, we're fortunate that the river follows the road for the most part, and a lot of our scouting we could do from the road, um, and that's good because we couldn't just like hop in a kayak or a stand-up paddleboard and go down in the river to suss it out, because there's just more sensitive areas than others, and a lot of times I would see something from the car and I'd be like, we got to hit that, like that looks awesome, I want it, and um, just our head security officer was sort of. Like, no, it's, it's a non-starter. Like we just can't even go down there. 
Um, so there was like, we were equal. There was four of us and there was one, like four locals. So there was three in our security team and, and Ishan was our, like our host. Hmm. So even if we put it to a vote, we wouldn't have won. (laughs) (laughs) What rivers were you on? Was it one main river? It sounds like. Yeah. So it's all in the Pangaea river Valley. Um, so it's just the Pangaea river. Um, and it's actually insane. Like, um, uh, like I, I'm really hoping that, um, the climate there kind of improves. Like Afghanistan was once really re- renowned for its tourism, um, like before all these war conflicts and things like that. And the area is just stunningly beautiful, but in terms of river conditions, like you would freak out. Like it's just, there's like endless a drop. Like the, you're, it's like, like I don't know what it is about it's at the the foot of the Hin Kush Mountains I think it is, um, but it's just it's almost like those crazy like mountain streams like creeks, but it's river sized you know what I mean and it was every single corner every single bend like it's it's just white water like tip to tail for I don't know like four or five hundred kilometers, and it's it's like just wave after wave after wave. Not everything that we could pop in and surf, but it's just, yeah, the scouting potential there is is pretty crazy. And it is fast. It is such a fast-moving river. So when I was scouting things and I'd see where I'm going to paddle in and where I want to catch the wave and where I pull out, I'd get in and I, like, don't even make it to where the, I think the wave is. And then, like, like so undershoot where I'm getting out, like, just, like, zooming down the river. So, like, trying to crawl my way back up through some kind of field, like, not knowing where I am. Yeah, it, it was definitely an adventure. <laughs> How were the waves? Did you find some that were just as, I mean, the, the it's an epic trip. So even if you didn't actually stand on a wave there, that's almost, uh, it doesn't matter as much. But were you able to stand on some waves? Yeah, so it's a bit bony in terms of a river. Um, and it, it like it doesn't have a huge depth to it. I, I don't know actually know what the CFS would be. Excuse me. Um, but the I think we had three, three kind of waves. Um, one was at the base of a bridge, which was nice. It kind of just peeled off the bridge pilings. And that was the first one we had found where the area looked secure enough and everything we could get in. Um, so that was a lot of fun, but it felt pretty flat. It was kind of like a jet stream just pushing us out of it. Um, but my favorite wave was like right in front of the, we had pulled over and kind of scouted it from the road and I was just like getting hot. Like I was just, I'm just going to say that's a wave so I can get in the water, (laughs) but it it was looking good. It had some potential, but it was right in front of like a, a school. Um, so the schoolyard wrapped right around the river and before you knew it, like we were just unloading all our gear and everything, but all these schoolboys had come out and it, there was like 30 kids there. Like, what the heck is going on? Just like crowding around us. Like I'm trying to like screw in my, my fins and I just like kind of getting bombarded. Um, so by the time they kind of figured out what was going on and what we were doing, um, we hadn't been able to catch the wave yet, but we were throwing out this rope and then they all just started cheering us on. And it was so cool to see like these, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11 year old kids just like totally bright eyed, like just like cheering and like giving fist bumps yeah. and high fives yeah. and everything like that, that completely made the trip. And, and that was definitely my best surf day for sure. <laughs> and it's those moments that I think validates what you do. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a niche sport that we're both interested in river travel. It's, you know, I, I find myself, especially in these melancholic times, as the as the seasons change, you know the the value of, of what I do. So when you're doing things where kids, in particular, are complimenting and 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 enthusiastic and wanting to try, those are the moments that have always been great for me. Hopefully, you have that moment on film. <laughs> yeah, it's on film. Yeah, we put a whole film together, so. I have another one coming out um, this October, but um, Unsurfed Afghanistan. So this was, we made the trip in 2018, I believe. So it kind of, we took a year to make the film, put that all together, and then it went into the, like the film festival circuit, which was a bit strange 
uh, with COVID uh, in 2020. Uh. So, so that was kind of hit miss, but, um, so we're rounding out like our whole festival season. Um, so that one's going to be available soon as well. So they might come out sort of in and around the same time, but, um, unsurfed Afghanistan. Yeah, that's, that's that one, that film. So we don't have a release date for that. Um, and then, uh, Nico Walls. So he's the filmmaker. They, he actually worked with the WSL and there is, um, like a WSL cut for one of their series is called transformed. Um, and they just tell like odd and interesting surf stories, uh, kind of from around the world. They're into their third season, but we were part of their first season. So there is, if you search around on YouTube, um, you can find the transformed, um, episode unsurfed Afghanistan. And that, that's like our story is kind of only half of that cut, which is really cool. It, it like talks about, um, females and, and women surfing and, and how that looks in Afghanistan and all that kind of stuff. So that's really cool to check out. And then when unsurfed Afghanistan comes out, you, you know, it's a whole new story as well. Like you get both sides of the story. So. And what's WSL? Uh, the world surf. League. Okay. Okay. Which is mostly saltwater surfing. Oh yeah. Yeah, the, the way I would explain it to my family is it's the NHL of surfing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, for all my uh, uh, U.S. Uh, people, that <laughs> that would be the NBA of, of surfing. Yeah, NBA of surfing. There we go. <laughs> uh, what did you think of the hockey season this year? Everybody playing in their bubbles? Oh, I I don't follow it at all. <laughs> oh, oh, the whole bubble thing, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm following enough to know that they had to like live in their little bubble. I don't know. Could you do it? <laughs> like live in a bubble? That'd be hard without like being able to, you know, get outside. And <laughs> well, I mean, if if there's clear leadership and communication and understanding and and a, a trajectory of of estimated time in in which you're going to do things, I think you know just good communication and good leadership would be you know necessary if you're going to live in a bubble. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like the start of a horror movie, actually. <laughs> Jacob, uh, you're an inspiration. The, the the ability to really make a creative canvas of the river is is something that I'm fascinated by, and, and you're doing it in, in your own way. I'm doing it in my own way. And I'm certainly more and more, at, the, at this age that I'm doing, more concentrating on, on people's experiences, what they're doing, uh, more interested in what the river's doing, what more interested in other things that make people human. So in the, in the last few minutes that we have for this, I'm going to ask you a difficult question, but it's a question that I ask almost every guest, is in, in crazy weird times, dark times, what can you advise people to stay positive, to look at the, the human nature, whether it be confronting Afghanistanis who are interested in surfing or, you know, all of the, there's too many negative things to, to illustrate in the world, but like how, how, how does a person stay positive during all this? Yeah, it's a tough one. I, th I think it's always, for me personally, it really comes down to outlook and it, it's, it's just, I think adversity is sort of the same in, in every way. Uh, in just a sense of if we're coming together to fight a global pandemic or, you know, like the grocery store is out of toilet paper or, you know, you just got dumped by someone you love or, you know, all these things. And I guess for for people who are seeking out adventure on a river, um, we're actually like consciously going after adversity. Like we're at, we're actually putting ourselves into those challenging situations. So I don't know, it, for, for me, like getting tumbled by a wave really helps me just see that you know i could see this as like a failure like i just got dumped and i'm like getting tossed and turned in a in a river with and i don't know what's going to happen next just crushed or just just getting crushed <laughs> uh, or like you know getting back up on that board again taking another surf it's really just about having that well internal strength to to look at it in in a positive way and, and know that you're going to come out of this with um, that much more strength and, and being able to handle much greater adversity until, you know, you, you face your, your biggest challenge. 
That aesthetic, that philosophy is a powerful one. Thank you for articulating it so well. I think it articulates what I consider adventure travel to be, is the type of travel, the tr type of lifestyle where, yeah, you might not be comfortable during the moment, but you're going to make important experiences that uh, you'll remember and share and hopefully make you a better person. Thank you so much for your time, your interest in the sport, and uh, your enthusiasm for being a part of the podcast. How, actually, before I wrap up, how, how, is, how, how are your friends in Canada doing during the, the COVID? Little, I'm going to actually, before I ask that question, I already just asked that question. I've been waiting, you know, of course, this is a crazy time in the, in, the, in the U.S. right now for a variety of reasons. I've been listening to the people who are campaigning for president in their debates, on their podium speeches. Not once, not once have I heard mention to the fact that the Canadian and U.S. border has been closed for almost eight months now. A lot of the Canadians that I talk to are okay with that. <laughs> uh, how are your friends doing in, in Canada, and uh, what's their perspective on all of this? Yeah, I think we're taking a very uh, maybe polite outlook at it all. <laughs> um, it's It was, I think, really scary in the beginning. Like back in March, I think um, we, we were really unsure of how this whole thing's going to pan out. But I, I think just the idea of working together as a community, even if we're not together, like just everyone making sacrifices, just just knowing that um, we're doing everything we can to actually prevent deaths. And, and I think that's what it comes down to is that um, like my myself, I don't know if COVID would take a toll on me, but I'm not just going to go outside and, and like make those risks knowing like I'm kind of invincible to it. I think it's really comes down to us all working together as, you know, as a community, as a province, as a nation and all that kind of stuff. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. Calgary seems like a small town, you know, to me as well too. So it's, it's kind of like we're all working together. I'm going to cut that part out and then just share that on all of my social media platforms, <laughs> words of wisdom that I think as, 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 people who are trying to build communities they have to have in their language. Jacob, thank you so much for being a part of, the, a part of this podcast. You're a fantastic person, and I'm so happy that you were part of it. Yeah, thank you very much, Paul. It's awesome to be part of it. Yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, this is great.